Welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations. I'm Jillian. I'm Yolanda. Let's dive in with a moment of silence for the end of Sanditon. The little show that could. It went from being cancelled after one season to being resurrected for two more seasons. The fans really petitioned hard to get this back on track, and it worked, and I feel like that doesn't always happen. So that is to say, there's nothing that a bunch of fangirls cannot do if they put their mind to it, except pressure creators to make a decent ending. <laughs> yes. This isn't just the end of season three, it's the end of this show completely. As yeah. far as we know, unless they know. want to do more. Unless they bring it back again. It's been a show with lots of twists and turns and a lot of new characters and less of the characters we care about. <laughs> and so it's been an interesting journey for sure. Our agenda for today is discussing the final episode of Sanditon Ever, season three, episode six, What a Journey. We'll talk about all the weddings that happen and uh, even a wedding that doesn't happen. We'll provide some history behind the Sons of Africa organizations and the vital role that they played in abolishing slavery in Britain. And a warning that these episodes feel an awful lot like an AI bot was fed all of Austin's novels, produced this episode as a result. Also, if you like listening to our show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. That'll help us to reach new fans. So for our final recap of Sanditon previously, Mary Parker is at death's doorstep after she gets a terrible fever from the local family she's been helping in Old Town. Georgiana's mother, Agnes, has found her and they are figuring out their relationship. Georgiana has gotten engaged to Harry Montrose, just as Arthur and Harry have fallen in love with each other, or at least are beginning to identify love for each other. Charlotte and Ralph have ended their engagement and Augusta and Edward Denham have not eloped. They tried and it was kind of an epic fail. Yes. Augusta was, dare we say, saved by Charlotte and Colburn. Another thing we discussed on our last episode, Charlotte, single available woman. Yes. Colburn, single available man. It would appear as if the hurdles between them have been removed. They have. But will it be enough? Let's dive into the first big event of the final episode, which is Georgiana ends her engagement with Harry Montrose. And it's uh, it kind of turns into this mutual thing, because as we started discussing in the last episode, Harry Montrose's mother, Lady Montrose, approached Agnes, who's Georgiana's mother, who's finally found her after all of these years. And she's worried that her presence is going to be what? A hindrance? A scandal? Whatever it is she thinks in her own racist mind. Yeah. <laughs> she has paid a lot of money to Agnes to go away. And Georgiana's trying her best not to be heartbroken about it, you know, because she's been looking for her mother for a long time. She finally found her. She finally accepted that she's got a mother in her life. And the next thing she knows, she disappears. And so she's basically pacing around her room saying, whatever, she probably only wanted the fortune anyway. I didn't even like her that much. I don't even know if that was my mother, but she's gone now and that's cool because I can focus on doing me and I can be a duchess and my, that's gonna keep me warm at night. Mm -hmm. Lies, she's telling herself to just keep going and not face the heartbreak. <laughs> so luckily Agnes returns pretty quickly and confesses to Georgiana while she's trying on a, a potential wedding dress why she left. I will say 
say, I didn't love this part of the story because it's like Agnes explains it by saying like, oh, but I left you a note. And they're like, oh, I guess there was a note there. So it was a little bit one of those things where yeah, they I just left- kind of had to explain it. And I'm like, okay, well. Yeah, I did leave you technically, but I left a note. Yeah. Anyway, she's back. And we're just going to gloss over that the way that the writer is glossing. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And so she confesses that, you know, she just wants the best for her. It's a real King Solomon situation where rather than cut her baby in half, she has chosen to give it to another woman. (laughs) And then she's clearly had second thoughts and returned. And so Georgiana and Agnes go to publicly confront Lady Montrose. Like, she's having tea in the local tea room. I thought she might need a little help when it came to her expenses for the wedding. I tried to be discreet, so as not to embarrass Stop, mother, stop. You offered her money to leave her own daughter. Harry, can you really think so little of me? My mother has no need of your money. Something I think we're not addressing here is that Lady Montrose is broke. The whole reason she's having her son marry Georgiana is because Georgiana has the purse strings. That's another thing that was never explained that I thought was going to be explained. The Montrose family are only in Sanditon because they escaped scandal in whatever town they were in before this, leaving them completely broke. What that scandal was, we will never, never know. I thought... Perhaps it would be explained by this point, and it has not. It's not. They just we just forgot about it. Oops, <laughs> we're just here now. Yeah, <laughs> and so. yeah, somehow she has all these notes of money and, and was able to pass it off to Agnes to try to bribe her. But no, on one hand, I'm like, well, you have that money again. That's good. <laughs> I think she should have kept the money. But yeah. anyway, yeah. So they confront her publicly, and obviously, Harry and his sister Lydia are horrified to hear that their mother has paid a woman to stay away from her daughter. So Georgiana storms out, Harry catches up to her, and it's here that they both sort of come to the conclusion that this is, it's now going to be really hard for Georgiana and Agnes to be around Lady Montrose. So there's that happening. But they also sort of agree that they don't love each other in a traditional sense. And honestly, that's not even, to me, that's not even like a big scandal. I mean, it's a very Jane Austen thing to be marrying for love. Everyone else at this time was getting married. Like, women were getting married to get out of their parents' house. You know, you were marrying for money. You were marrying to just, because or like you lived in a small town and who else were you going to marry except the guy who was kind of around your age? Yeah. They have an amicable split and they wish each other the very best. And so we now have Two more single people in Sanditon. <laughs> so Georgiana is still figuring out, even even though they're past this point and she has her mother back in her life, she's still kind of not how you would expect a girl to be who's been motherless her whole life and suddenly has a mother figure. Like she's still, because she's a grown adult, she's 21 years old. And so she's figuring out what a mother-daughter relationship means to her. Yeah. And Agnes is like, look, I really, I mean, she's she's being so cool about this because she's like, I don't know you. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to raise you. I don't want to make any presumptions. But when I left, I went and I saw Otis in London. And I told him about you. And I told him that you were engaged. The way that he feels about you is very obvious to me. I think you should call him. (laughs) 
I really love that she did this at this timing after the engagement was broken because I think it really shows that Agnes is, like you said, like they're still learning what their dynamic is and what their relationship is. So she wants to be really respectful of Georgiana's decisions. And, you know, if the whole bribery thing hadn't happened, I think she would have been supportive of the marriage between her and Harry, even though it didn't seem like either of them wanted it, she would have been there to support it. But in this case, now that the engagement is over, she's like, well, now that that's done, I just need to tell you that Otis is still interested. So I I do like that she's trying to provide her motherly advice in a very cautious way and trying to like kind of give it in pieces so that Georgiana can also really process it. And also, I love that she, all she wants is to see Georgiana happy. Yeah. She's someone who clearly has her best interests at heart. And Georgiana's not used to that at all. I feel like the Parkers and Charlotte and Otis as well are the only people she knows who really have her best interest at heart. Yeah. It's difficult to accept that there could be more people who really feel that way. And we were even suspicious of her mother was really her mother for a second last episode. But the fact that she's like, I supported your marriage with Harry because I thought you were happy. And now that it's over, I I must tell you, like, there's someone else who I think would be very happy to love you. So they go to London together and they visit Otis while he's in the middle of a Sons of Africa meeting. And they have a very special moment together where he's just like, you came. Because another thing, she kind of encountered Otis earlier this season and he gave her his address and she threw it into the fire. That just happened. And by the way, he got hotter and I think it's just facial hair, but it's working for him. He looks looks much more, because like they were kind of more like in their late teens kind of a vibe when we met him in the first season. And she's very much a grown woman now. He seems like much more of a grown man. I mean, he's a leader in this organization. So he is. He's really using his voice to step up more. And I think they've both matured over time and they weren't quite ready for each other when they were first in courtship and in love. But maybe now they are ready for each other. And I think we do see that they are. (laughs) Next thing we know... They're getting married in a candlelit ceremony together with just the vicar who's marrying them and only Agnes's in attendance. It's, I guess, the way Georgiana wanted it. As far as like having an intimate ceremony, I think their love is between them and to to get to share this with her mother is very, very special. But I think what we are both upset about is the fact that her best friend, Charlotte, is not there. Why wasn't Charlotte at this wedding? One of the things that when we interviewed Crystal Clark back in season one, at the end of season one, Charlotte Haywood leaves Sanditon and she has that goodbye with Sydney Parker, but we don't see a goodbye between Charlotte and Georgiana, the person who she had become great friends with and was really a close friend and confidant throughout her time there. Why wouldn't these two best friends have a proper goodbye and it's it's really tough to see that we're ending it in the same way where in season three the series finale we do not get to see charlotte supporting her best friend in in attendance at her own wedding it it feels like we are a little bit robbed of that very special moment between these two friends not a little bit we are completely we're we're robbed (laughs) blind we're fully robbed we've been robbed blind and i don't know if 
in this conversation, we jumped from them being reunited at the Sons of Africa meeting to getting married. There's like 10 to 15 minutes of episode between these two things happening. I guess, I guess, are they still, they might still be in London. That's what I was going to say. The only thing I can possibly think of as to why this may or may not make sense is that they reunited in the afternoon and they got married in the evening in London and that there was not time. Then explain that. I don't know. Like What I also don't like about this, A, I hate that Charlotte's not there because Charlotte would want to be there for her friend. Right. Because like I said, the last interactions they've been having together is accusing each other of marrying for convenience instead of for love. They've both been judgmental about that to each other. There has been no amendment made in that department. Like she's marrying for love and she's not even there didn't even like want to invite her there's no reason we could have taken this back to Sanditon there's something that I do like about the intimate ceremony yeah the thing that I don't like about only her mother being in attendance is that it feels like it's a secret like it's one of these secret marriages and the whole point of her wanting to even get married to Harry is so that everyone could know she's a taken and married woman and that you can't just like take advantage of her in certain ways I guess in a way she's like well who cares what anyone thinks who cares about the public knowing I have my love now and I'm gonna celebrate that in my own way which is great but I feel like this show and we honestly have not talked about this at all but there's a whole plot a love plot with Lady Sue Susan, the socialite who is staying in Sanditon, and Samuel Colburn, Alexander's brother, that happens. And it takes up so much time in this episode, and it's taken up increasingly more amounts of time throughout this season, that I feel like we didn't need that. I would have rather taken that whole plot line out of it, even though it's very sweet. I will say it's very sweet. So what? (laughs) I know. But I feel like you could have lifted out that whole storyline and inserted more of Georgiana and Charlotte and Otis and into all of this to give them more time because it feels like we didn't have enough time with them. There's no doubt that a lot of people get a happy romantic ending, but I I feel like it not giving Charlotte and Georgiana their happily ever after with each other kind of goes against what the takeaway lesson is for the entire series, which is that a girl can be anything she wants to be. Yeah. We kind of expect the, rom- well, I guess we can't expect a romantic happy ending in Sanditon, especially yeah. if you're the main <laughs> character. But it, it is a little bit expected for the end. It's interesting to me that that was probably the biggest complaint by everyone in the first season, and they didn't even try and make up for it. If there is a scene between the two of them that's on the cutting room floor, give it to us. I'll be one of those fangirls that's like, at least could you like, just tell me, could you just post a script page that was like, (laughs) we ran out of time that was filmed or at least conceived so that these girls could like forgive each other and forgive themselves for everything that they just went through. I feel like this show a little bit lost its way with who is the main character and who was the main storyline we're supposed to be following because season one we have charlotte haywood fish out of water in a new town in a big city she's never seen before and she's like so excited to be here and through her you're getting to know everyone in town now with this season not everyone is connected to Charlotte and not everyone like they try they try to connect Lady Susan and Charlotte they try to connect Samuel and Charlotte but it's not it doesn't fit in the same way that it should it's just frustrating that (laughs) (laughs) that we don't have as much like I wish I had done like a minute by minute breakdown as far as like how much screen time does Lady Susan have versus Charlotte and I bet you it's the same (laughs) 
So really the point that we're trying to make is that it's it's tough to see that Charlotte couldn't be at Georgiana's wedding. We wish we could have seen a bit more of a resolution between these two best friends. Let's dive into a little bit of history behind the Sons of Africa and give that context. So this is the meeting that Georgiana and her mother interrupt, that Otis is leading this meeting. The Sons of Africa were a group of freed former enslaved men living in London. This organization began in 1787, and it's considered Britain's first Black political organization. Their main cause was the abolition of slavery, and it was a great organization. They lectured and they educated people on the horrors of slavery, they petitioned parliament, and they published letters and memoirs about their horrific experiences during slavery, imploring people to end it. England would not abolish slavery until 1833, which was 13 years after the Regency period ended. And in fact, the Sons of Africa organization was often overshadowed by its white allies. So, you know, white people who supported the cause, but received more credit than the black men who founded and put most of the work and were able to give their first direct point of view on the horrors of slavery. Otis is clearly leading this meeting and it was, you know, an organization that lasted from 1787. I don't know that it went away in 1833. They abolished slavery in 1833, but obviously the fight for equality did not end with the abolition of slavery. They went on to fight for many more freedoms. Let's go on to another big event of this episode, which is the wedding of Lady Denim. Another big event that takes up a lot of space here. So we've seen a lot of red flags popping up between Mr. Price and Lady Denim. Mr. Price has really made it known that he's like, well, guess you're gonna pack up all your stuff because we're moving to my house in my town. And she's like, wait, I've been in Sanditon for so long. I've been like this chief investor really of the town. And now she's going to need to move to Bath, lose her title. He even says this thing to her of like, I've always wanted to own you. And and she's like, I'm not your property. And I think a bunch of these red flags are popping up for her. These red flags have been popping up for us. This whole courtship or whatever is happening. I mean, she would really just lose everything. So it is not until their wedding day, everyone is gathered. Everyone is in their wedding best and dressed for for the occasion when Lady Denham leaves him at the altar. Doesn't even show up. Doesn't even show up. Doesn't show up and leave. Like, she sends Edward in her seat. Yes. Which, like, Edward actually does a decent job of, like, explaining the situation, which I'm like, okay, good for him. Lady Denham does not do this for revenge because Mr. Price did the same thing to her. She just wants to be her own woman. She's already made her own life. She's had her independence for so long. It would be very difficult to re-enter into a marriage where now her independence is not her own and she would really have to answer to him and he expects that of her. So she's like, actually, this deal doesn't sound as great as I thought it would be, so I'm gonna unpack all my stuff and you go away. I think it's actually, I do love this moment for her because she's, we've had our ups and downs with Lady Denim over the last couple seasons. And she seems like a very militant protector of tradition. I do think it's great that she sort of sees, at least in her particular instance, she sees marriage for what it is, which is basically saddling yourself to a man. Everything is in his name and you sort of live according to his rules. And she's too old for that. She's she's the alpha. She's the top (laughs) dog in Sanditon. And she doesn't want, she doesn't play second fiddle to anyone. And I think she's taking on a very 
Lady Catherine-esque role in this because I, I think she made a selfish decision for her own good. And she was like, this is not a good deal. You know, like he, something that Mr. Price talks about throughout the episode is like, you're going to get a great deal. There's a good, a lot of good things happening to you when you marry Mr. Price. <laughs> she even asks like, oh yeah, like what? And he's like, we'll find out next week. <laughs> Great, cool. This is so fun. I can't wait to play second fiddle to some guy who's cantankerous and just got here. Mary Parker lived. Yay. We should have opened with that. I'm sorry we didn't (laughs) open with that, you guys. Mary Parker woke up from her terrible fever. She's alive and well. Tom is somewhat of a changed man. You know, he, he like changes back to being a decent guy and loving his wife and his kids and not being so driven by ego. We do get that moment that clearly has to happen in every single Sanditon finale where he, for some reason, brings Arthur with him to confront Mr. Price and say, we're not building your hotel. We're going to build a school which will wield no profit whatsoever, but it's for the good of Sanditon. And he's like, what's wrong with you? We (laughs) just secured an investor. We're going to do this. All the land has been sold. Like, what are you doing? And then Tom is like, there's nothing the Parker brothers can't do if they put their mind to it. And Mr. Price walks away angry. And I'm like, all right, we got our Parker boy moment. They at least did the right thing. and, And Tom was finally able to stand up to him. I think a lot of times what Tom does is get swept up in like the glitz and glamour of, of a big plan and makes these big promises to people. And then he can't keep those promises when he realizes, oh, wait, I'm not capable of this. So they at least are able to back out of that whole thing. Another segment we'd like to segue into is the Austin tropes that have been covered in this. Is it borderline plagiarism? It's tough to call it plagiarism because it is open domain literature. They can technically use it, but I I get what you're meaning because it feels that way. It feels like because they're taking so many pieces from so many of Austin's books, taking all of that, blended it all together and are pasting it together to make an ending here. I feel like we're drinking a Jane Austen smoothie with this final episode. And we're like, "Mm, that tastes weird. I don't know if I would have put that flavor in this episode, but okay. For example, Mary, who catches a fever and is on death's doorstep and then miraculously wakes up, it's a very Marianne thing to happen from Sense and Sensibility. And, And of course, she's got a man who's just like, she has to get better. She has to get better. She's my world. That is a very Austin-y trope to happen. We're on the cusp of getting into Lydia and Colburn's last stand. You know, you would think that the finish line would be about a foot long, but we're going to zoom in and we're (laughs) going to make that foot really... The only thing that stops Charlotte from confessing her love to Mr. Colburn and living her happily ever after with him is this secret rumor that Lady Lydia Montrose is secretly engaged. Do we hear a name? No, we do not. But Charlotte makes all kinds of assumptions about it being Mr. Colburn. Well, Georgiana, she's she tells Georgiana, and then Georgiana tells Charlotte. Charlotte tells Lady Susan. So it's like this whole chain of, of events and telephone that happens. But yes, it is very sens- sensibility, where Lucy Steele is like, I am 
engaged. <laughs> There's a couple secret engagements in Austin, which is Lady, which is like Jane Fairfax to Mr. Churchill and Emma. There's also Lucy Steele to Mr. Ferris and Sense and Sensibility. Yeah, like it's ha- it's a thing. It's a very common thing. Is it a little bit annoying that it's to a man we have not even seen, heard of, heard the name of? No. This man is a ghost. He's not real. I don't think he's real. I think she's making it up. <laughs> I literally, because we're, the explanation we get is, oh, yeah, she had a secret engagement to defy her mother and, and she's going to marry him. To who? To who? Where? Yeah, tell me. Where? Is he in Sanditon? Is he in London? What's going on? We are given so little information. It's laughable. I will say another part of the, we'll get into this more about the miscommunication, is also very persuasion where she thinks Okay, that's it. They're done. They're engaged. But no, it is actually that Lady Lydia is engaged to someone else. So that miscommunication gets cleared up later. So again, another piece of Austin's work in here. I think let's dive straight into the Charlotte Colburn of it all, because I feel like our greatest moment, the reason I even bring up plagiarism is because of his proposal. They do get there happily ever after. But like we said, there's been an astounding amount of miscommunication between them. She goes to his house to confess her love when she hears about Lady Lydia's engagement. And she's just like, I just wanted to say goodbye is all. Basically, what ends up happening is Charlotte decides to be a teacher in Ireland. We find ourselves in the exact same place we were in at the end of season one. She's despondent. She's going off to live her new life, a new chapter, leave the heartbreak of Sanditon behind her. She's in a carriage. But instead of seeing a horse in the background trying to catch up to her, we zoom out and we see Colburn is already waiting on the hill for her on a horse. It's very sexy. It's very (laughs) romantic. And it's also very Mr. Malcolm's List, if I may. That's the thing that happens at the end of that movie. Also filmed in Ireland. He knows the way to Ireland. Carriage stops. She gets out. But instead of like dwelling on his baggage, he's like, why didn't you tell me you called off your engagement? And she was like, well, I didn't think it would be important. And he says, actually, that is the most important information ever because I'm super not engaged to Lady Lydia. She's engaged to a ghost, to some guy we've never met, haven't even heard a whisper of a name from, haven't even like dropped one breadcrumb. He proposes and he says, you bewitched me from the very first moment we met. And ever since my affections have not wavered. Indeed, they've only grown deeper with every second that I've spent in your company. I cannot imagine how fathomless they will be once we have shared a lifetime together. Does that sound familiar to you at all, Yolanda? Yes, because it is the Pride and Prejudice 2005 wording of the proposal. You have bewitched me, body and soul, and I love, I love, I love you. I never wish to be parted from you from this day on. It didn't have the impact that I think the writers were anticipating. I think they were anticipating like, oh my god, he said bewitched. It's just like Darcy. I was like, 
just come up with your own original proposal that is so unique to Colburn. That's what I want. The unique thing about Cien de Ten is like, yes, it's an unfinished novel and you have all this room to play with in this world. You didn't need to take so much not even inspiration, but like direct plot lines from other books to then create the finale for this. It just felt like create something so unique within this world. And granted, that's what Andrew Davies tried to do with season one, failed because he ended it with like an un the most unhappy ending ever. This season in particular has just felt like, I don't know, like come up with an original thing within this world that makes sense. So they kiss. Yeah. They embrace. <laughs> It's really, like, I, I wished it felt more satisfying. Like, I'm like, yes, we see them kiss. Yes, we see them get married. I wish I felt happier about it. Like, I just, I didn't feel as, like, such a um, a great conclusion as I was hoping. You know what I thought? Finally. You yeah. Know? Like, this literally should have happened. And just so you guys know how it played out in the episode, they kiss. They have their embrace and their kiss on the seaside cliffs. We cut to Georgiana and Otis's wedding right. for, like, 30 seconds tops. <laughs> we cut to Colburn and Charlotte's very sunny, very flowery, very full church wedding of every single person in Sanditon, including Otis Molyneux and his new bride, Georgiana Lamb or Georgiana Molyneux. What do we know yeah. about those conversations? Because we they didn't want to tell us. Yes. And at the reception, I will say they give like this kind of slow motion pan around the room and they show all the couple. So you're kind of seeing, I think what happened is season one got such strong backlash of not having the, ha having the happily ever after that season three, they were like, we have to throw every happily ever after at this show. We have to throw every happy ending at this audience so that we get no backlash on the ending. Dr. Fuchs and the and the Reverend's sister get their happy ending. Lady Susan gets her happy ending. Arthur, in a way, and Harry get their happy ending. Like Kind of. Everyone gets a happy ending, but I'm like, that that's not the point. These aren't the happy endings that most matter to us. They get married. Cut to one year later. Ooh, an epilogue. Yeah. A 45 second epilogue. <laughs> I don't even think this is a full minute. Charlotte is a teacher at the new local school. It would appear she's like three months postpartum. <laughs> this baby is three months old. Literally, yes. it's one year later, which means she had to have gotten pregnant like that day, that day, given birth, like given her, give or take eight to nine months later. Very, still very postpartum, but upright, upbeat, teaching the boys and girls of Sanditon. She locks up the schoolhouse with her little school bag. Colburn walks up to her, places the baby in her arms. She's carrying she her She just got bag done working. <laughs> and her arms. And he's like, thank God you're done for the day. <laughs> We're with Augusta and Leonora and like a random little girl from the schoolhouse. And uh, we, for some reason, dive into a conversation of, do we think girls can be doctors and lawyers and whatever, or teachers and governesses. And Charlotte responds with a smile, with a baby in her arms. I think a girl can be whatever she wants to be. And then we walk down the promenade, and that is where we end the very final episode. Not that it matters, but do we know the gender of this no, baby? No, we don't. Maybe it's implied that it's a girl and she can be whatever she wants. I guess wants, so. But we don't know. I would have also, why not name say the name of the baby? That's so significant. Very significant. Could have been Georgiana. We don't know. It could have been like something Georgiana yeah. Colburn. We got that at the end of Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Albus Dumbledore-Severus. Exactly, like Albus Severus Potter. Like, we got to know who meant the most to these parents. It would have been so, like, imagine the scene of being like, wouldn't it be so cute of her to be like, yes, of course young girls can be whatever they want, just like this little one. Charlotte Georgiana Colburn. <laughs> like, that would have been perfect. It's cheesy, it's but it's, it's cute. I don't know. You know what? Sanditon, let, let's, like, zoom back. Let's zoom out <laughs> from our um, our epilogue, our, like, weird little rushed epilogue here and say, Sanditon, what a journey it's been. What a journey. What a, you know, it's like I'm on The Bachelor and I'm so grateful for this journey because we, it can't, it started in a dark place. It, it started in a pretty dark ending and then it got worse. <laughs> Do you remember when they killed Sidney Parker? <laughs> yeah! Do I remember when you like watched me watch him getting buried in the, in the ground in Antigua? Oh, Do God. I remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Do I remember when they poisoned Esther so that she would think that uh, she was going insane and would what? Have to get checked into an asylum? Yeah. I remember that. Do you remember that? Do you remember when Georgiana was being unwittingly seduced by a distant relative and he was pretending not to be horrible and racist so that he could marry her and then do what? Like pull a Jane Eyre, like a Mr. Rochester and do who knows what with her and just keep the money? I remember that. <laughs> we've this had, has gone off the rails. Yeah, we've had a lot of ups. We've had maybe more downs Awful than lot ups. Of downs. The one image, I'm glad I remembered this, the one image that was most significant to me, and I think whatever journey this show has taken us on, this was the image that was worth it. It was Georgiana with her mother by the fireplace and Georgiana like embra- being embraced by her mother. That was truly a beautiful moment and getting to see that resolution for her to go from being like this very lost young woman to now finding her place in the world, not because of a man, but because of she was able to explore that for herself and find her own independence and find that with someone. I wish we had more time with Georgiana. I wish we had had more time to explore that relationship with her mother, but that image and maybe I'll try to like screenshot it and post it. That was the most powerful image for me of this whole series. I agree because of all of the letdowns and all of the heartbreak, the two heroines that have been set, like I would say we went from Charlotte Haywood being our sole heroine to it being Georgiana and Charlotte. And they have dealt with the most heartbreak. I would say a lot of Charlotte's heartbreak has been in the romance category. And Georgiana has also had her heart broken in the romance category. But there's been so much more of her just having to fight for like the right to have her own inheritance and the right for her to be her own person and the right for her to just have a place in this community. Like that fight has been so much harder. It's been daunting. Yeah. The fact that she got some like the person she needed most to like help her through this time, which is her mother. Yeah. Is very well deserved. Yeah. So everyone gets a happy ending. (laughs) Edward Denham is going to be a clergyman. Oh, right. I forgot Whatever. about him. Can I just say I don't care? I, I don't like, care. This is our podcast <laughs> and we don't want to give Edward Denham a platform. No. And that's what this is. No. But what a journey it's been. 
final episode. The season is over. Sanditon is over. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. <laughs> I'm okay with it being over. You know what? It had its merits. Yeah. We have talked about these people like they're real. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. There were true ups and downs, like we've said. Yeah. But I am okay with this chapter closing forever yeah. and ever and ever. And if someone in five to ten years wants to reboot <laughs> and redo Sanditon as a movie or TV show, take this series as a lesson of maybe things to avoid <laughs> honestly i think it should be this kind of thing of like let's give georgiana her own movie thanks for listening everyone i know we went a little off the rails <laughs> yeah. there but um thanks for listening anyway so the next adaptation we'll be covering is the debut novel emma of 83rd street by audrey beleza and emily harding it's Emma set on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and all the modern cinematic rom com interpersonal relationships that happen there. You can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and support us on Patreon at The Pemberley. Email us with any questions or comments at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com.